Happiness is an inside job. At Happy Healthy You, Connie Bowman helps us find our way with inspiring conversations and healthy ideas for living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit. Happy Healthy You. And now here's Connie. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman, the host. For the last few years, I've been hosting this podcast about balance in mind, body, and spirit. And it's just been a passion project for me. I've really enjoyed talking to so many different people from all over the world. And today I'm actually talking to someone from kind of far away from me. She's in Berlin. So uh, I'm excited to have this conversation. But before we get to that conversation, I just also want to thank you for supporting our sponsor, Blue Planet Eyewear. Blue Planet is this awesome company. They make the cutest readers in every magnification. They make really cute sunglasses. But the best thing about Blue Planet is they give back. I am just so in support of companies that want to give back, give some of their profits back to um, people who, you know, might not be able to afford eyewear. And so every time you buy a pair of glasses from BluePlanetEyewear.com is their website, uh, they give back to someone who might not otherwise be able to afford them. So they use the motto, visualize change. So you can hashtag visualize change. You can buy your your sunglasses and your readers there, and you can use code Connie20 to get your special Happy Healthy You discount. So thank you for that. And let's get to today's guest. So today I'm talking to Or Shahar. She's over in Berlin, Germany. How exciting is that? You won't believe how good she sounds. I hope she still sounds good when she talks. Um, so Orr is a yoga teacher, and but more. At 23, she was recovering from depression. She took a plane to India where she discovered her deep connection to Buddhism. And she took her first yoga teacher training there and started to practice seriously. And for the past several years, she's taught yoga in Berlin. And while deepening her own practice every day and spending restorative time raising her dog, she has also founded Freedom Yoga. And she has the motto, happiness comes from within. So she's right in alignment with Happy Healthy You. Welcome, Or. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. How is it over in Berlin today? Yeah, it's often <laughs> quite gray and rainy. But oh. actually, we had a few very sunny weeks. Like if it goes way below zero, so there is no cloud and it's very sunny and nice. That's coming back on the weekend. So, so I'm I'm optimistic. Yeah, it's well, becoming what's really uh, cool, brighter. It, oh yeah. Well, the spring is coming, so hopefully it's becoming brighter. So what's really cool is that you sound like you're right next door. <laughs> <laughs> you really, you sound great. Yeah. So, so it's cool. Thank you for coming on the podcast. We're here to talk about yoga and specifically yoga for depression. You uh, have had experience uh, recovering from depression, as you say, on your website. And um, I think that is, in my experience as a new teacher, relatively new, I've been teaching for about three years, I'm finding that many people come to the yoga mat Um, with some uh, need to also face the challenges of depression, um, anxiety, grief. And 
And I just want to, I, I love that you are focusing on this and that you have experience with it. And I just like to talk about it a little bit, like some of the benefits of practicing yoga for some of these challenges that we face. It seems so much more prevalent nowadays. Mm. Yeah, I think that especially grief is something that we all need to deal with at some point or another. Like it doesn't have to be like a family member or a friend who dies. Um, you know, at some point in life, you know, relationships dies, expectations dies, um, businesses, you know, go bankrupt. There are all kinds of faces to grief. And many times it generates a certain depression. And I personally, mostly now when I'm kind of working more with depression, I think that in many times it's just very strong negative emotions, which is part of our human experience. Like nowadays, a lot of people see it as a disease. And of course, it can come to the point when it's really limiting your ability to live your everyday life in, you know, like, a, I, I don't remember the word now, but like, you know, functioning, that's, that's the word mm -hmm. I was looking for. Like it's kind of hinders your function and then it can really, can be seen as a disease. But strong negative emotions can happen to any person at any time and can have different repercussions on our life. Mm -hmm. And I think what yoga does and is really helpful in this sense is just to enable us a safe space where we can explore our feelings, explore our sensations in our body, explore our thoughts, just, you know, a safe place where I can just get to know myself better. This is what I see my practice of yoga is and also what I try to give to my students online and offline as well. Mm. Um, Maybe we should... I think, go ahead, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think this is just really the main thing that it just gives you a different way to deal with these very strong negative emotions. Yeah. And I think sometimes I've noticed uh, when people come to the mat for the first or second or even third time and they're stilling their mind, slowing their breath, slowing down the movement in our lives, it can be um, a little scary to to take a look at the, um, mm. the, the darkness that is there <laughs> underneath. Maybe you can talk about, because I think people respond well to stories, especially if they're true. Um, talk about your own uh, situation where um, you were recovering from depression and you found yoga and um, studied with your teacher and how it worked to um, bring you back to balance. Yeah, it had many aspects. I don't really have like one thing that I can say, this thing helped me. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, yeah, it have different aspects to it. I got to know yoga more or less when I just started to have depression. I was very, very young. I had like my first, I would now call it like a depressive episode. I didn't really understood it at the time. And it was more or less the same time as I got to know yoga, but I didn't make the connection until things became very, very bad. And actually, mostly when I started to recover, 
and I started to feel a bit better after a very massive and very, very dramatic depressive episode, I kind of understood that maybe, you know, I got over this episode and maybe some of the trauma I was managed to heal, but there were still a lot of questions in me and there were still a lot of insecurities in me and a lot of things that still needed, you know, answer that I made a connection that yoga might help me with that Mm -hmm. because I was looking just for a different way to see myself. I was looking for a different way to see life and that what led me to India and to meet my yeah, my teachers, many teachers that I met there, some of them I'm still learning with them also. And I think for me, the main thing, as I said, it's really like this safe sp- space to get to know myself and to understand that not everything I think and not everything I feel, I have to believe it. And I don't have to react on everything that I feel and think and happens to me. And it just enabled me with a lot of practice and a lot of time and a lot of ups and downs to come to the place where I am today that even if I do still suffer from depression, which I still do, I don't call myself somebody who cured himself and I would never promise anybody that I can cure them from depression. But I think that I have now tools to manage it in a much, much more skillful way. Like I know when do I need to, you know, just let things go and take a break. I know when I'm acting, I might have acted out of fear or some kind of a false belief about myself. And I can just accept it without, you know, being too much angry on about it and without creating even more chaos and you know what we usually do like what usually happens when we have very strong emotions that we either suppress them and kind of pretend it never happened and just distract ourselves with other things which makes them usually bigger and more dramatic or we kind of overestimate them. Like we make a gigantic drama out of it and, you know, we make a a very big deal out of it and we go into a negative spiral of negative self-talk and self-pity. And both of these cases is something that I used to do quite Mm -hmm. a lot. And yoga kind of enabled me through, again, self-exploration and different techniques to help you to get to know yourself better um just to deal with it in a more realistic way yeah and i think you're not alone in that i mean surely Mm. many of us have those oh they're your dogs hello (laughs) (laughs) what kind of dogs do you have or yeah that's my i have just one dog tara she's a terrier (laughs) that's okay she's she's barking in german my dog is sophie she's a (laughs) chocolate lab so maybe we'll hear from sophie a little bit later Um, I just want to go back to yoga and the meaning of yoga. The meaning of the word yoga is union, as we know, Um, union of heart, mind, body, uh, union of ourselves with our divinity. And if you think of depression, that really is a disconnection from ourselves and our divinity in, in the biggest way, right? I haven't had the experience of depression, but I have had some major grief, which I guess is probably the same. Mm. I just felt totally disconnected from any source of joy 
or, mm. and I it, and I'm a pretty happy person, pretty even <laughs> tempered, and um, I would say I'm I'm pretty yeah I'm pretty happy for the most part. But when I was going through my deepest grief, um, I just felt totally disconnected from everything. So. Yeah, I think it's pretty common. Like, I think that's one of the major signs of depression that you feel disconnected. You think you feel isolated many times. I know that for me, mostly in the last years, it's kind of a feeling like, you know, going totally out of your normal balance or the normal balance that it looks like you should have or you want to have. Like, everything feels very extreme. And one of the main features that yoga does, it's really to connect again. Mostly a lot of people that are disconnected from their body report that, you know, they feel more connected to the body in a more healthy way. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, not all teachers can give you this feeling. You know, there are unfortunately in the world also yoga teachers that push the body sometimes too much mm-hmm. out of good intentions, sure. but can bring to you know even more disconnection so it's important to choose your uh, teacher as well but I think that in most cases you can say there is a feeling of reconnection to the body and reconnection to the breath and reconnection also to a sense of calm that it's in, in us all the time like it's not like a capacity that you can lose mm. Um, but it's mostly when you're going through grief or you're going through depression or just really hard times, you know, whatever the reason for that is. Um, yeah, you, you sometimes just lose touch with this wisdom, compassion, relaxation part of yourself. And yoga just helps you to find a way back. Yeah, reconnect with the soul, really. I mean, people leave a yoga class and they'll thank me for the class. And I feel like so humbled by that, but it's really, they're just connecting to their own soul. They're just, we just kind of strip away the layers just by, you know, the breathing and the asana and the time spent on the mat. We strip away the the stuff that gets in the way of our souls. So I love yoga for that. So let's talk yeah. about that. So so some of the benefits of yoga for depression and just for life in general, right? Um, we have this connection. We get this connection with ourselves and with others. And then just coming to a class where there are other people, it's that, that group uh, spirit. So you have a connection mm. with others. And um, is are, I wonder if, because over here in the West, we have studios and we have gyms that um, have yoga. What's it like over there? Um, do you have a similar setup for yoga classes? How do people practice in Germany? Yeah, I guess it's pretty similar. We have uh, studios. Uh, we have yoga classes in gyms. What made me a bit different here in Germany is that we have a thing it's called Volkshochschule. It's something like a community college, but it's actually like afternoon and evening courses for adults. So I, for example, teach mostly in these kind of schools. Mm. Um, so it's a bit more affordable and it's a bit more structured. It's structured a bit differently than a studio. 
And you need to, what I like about it the most is that you need to have more commitment. Like in most studios, you can just come and go as you want. And in these kind of schools, you register for 10 classes, course, and you, yeah, if you don't come, it's kind of <laughs> your problem. Like you have to come to all of the courses and you don't get re-embraced. So it's create kind of, not always in the nicest way, but it is creating some kind of a commitment in the students. And I think it benefits all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I think that's good in, in some ways because it does force you to commit to your practice a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. and it's a hard thing to do, especially mm-hmm. in the beginning. Sure. And I think that you have to have this commitment because we talked about yoga and it sounds sometimes like I just thought uh, as we talked now, like it sounds so magical, like, right, you know, you come right. to a yoga class and it's so amazing and you're so thankful to the teacher in the end. But sometimes this is not the case. And I know that especially when I had times when I was very um, deeply pissed with the world, you can say, yes. <laughs> uh, your class could piss me off even more. But because I kept to it, I, I saw the benefits of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's so talk I, about... It's important let, to just you, commit to the practice, you, even if you don't really feel like it, or yeah. if sometimes it's, you know, very challenging. Because mm-hmm. as you also said, sometimes when you have this mirror in front of you, it's not something that it's very beautiful to look oh, at. God. Yeah. Yeah, And that's a big part of the practice. And especially for people suffering from very strong negative emotions, when you encounter them, it can be even sometimes dangerous. Like there are some kind of practices, especially meditation practices that I would not recommend necessarily in certain situations when the negative emotions are very, very strong. Like I think it's important to have a safe space with a, a teacher that really knows what he or she doing or a therapist or some kind of a person with experience that mm-hmm. can support you right. in this journey. And what we're really talking about in a lot of ways are the first two limbs of yoga, of Patanjali's eight limbs of yoga, the yamas and the niyamas. So ahimsa, not doing any harm, and that discipline, the uh, the idea of committing to the practice and um, self-study, Swadhyaya, Swadhyaya. How do you say that? Swadhyaya? I am, <laughs> unfortunately, as bad as in Sanskrit as you. Yeah, self-study. Really, uh, the, so the, the basic philosophy of yoga is the is really the, the fundamental um, foundation of yoga, the yamas and the niyamas. And that's really what we're talking about. Here. Definitely. I'm a very, very big fan of the yamas and niyamas and also different kinds of uh, disciplines that you can find across all religions and spiritual traditions. Uh, in the They're Buddhist all really tradition. the same, aren't they, Or I mean, yeah. You're, they're very similar. Maybe I would talk not say about the Buddhism. same, but there right. is a very similar, Thread. very clear line uh, going through all of them, definitely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we can talk about that in a, a little bit. But the third limb of yoga, we should maybe get into that asana, um, the movements, the poses, and talking about one of the things that really affects in a positive way, depression and grief and sadness is just getting the body moving, right? Mm. So some of these uh, movements, these poses that we do in yoga uh, are really designed um, 
to help with specific things, right? So maybe you can talk about a few of those that maybe your favorites for helping with depression. Yeah, I think I, if it's okay with you, I would like to start actually with talking about the yamas and niyamas. Oh, okay. Because they are my favorites, actually. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> um, cool. That's one of really one of the my favorite parts in yoga and I think uh, I, I cannot go too deep into that I think if somebody is interested in that there is a lot of information also on my website um, but basically there are just moral guidelines and kind of guidelines and recommendations of how to behave in daily lives in relation to yourself and also in relation to other people mm-hmm. and it's interesting because they start with you know relation to yourself and then it goes also to how do you treat other people and it kind of goes hand in hand like you cannot do one without the other from my point of view Mm -hmm. and I know that for me in one of my episodes when I felt very very frustrated it was already after I started practicing and I already had some tools in my toolbox but I felt very unequipped to practice. And as I said, at certain times, certain practices are not very recommended. So I said, like, okay, you know, what what can I do right now? And how can I, you know, still practice and still feel like I'm doing my practice, um, but not further harming myself and others? And then I just took not the yamas and niyamas, I took something a bit similar from the Buddhist tradition. It's called the 10 non-virtues. And I just print them, put them on my wall. And I decided this is my practice right now. And I really saw it as a practice. Like a lot of people, especially if you come from Western religious, they see it as like, you know, these laws that you need to obey now. Like the 10 commandments Um, in the Old Testament, right? Yeah, exactly. And I come from a Jewish background, so I know this... Right. kind of mindset very good sure. but i i really like the buddhist mindset which is more and the yogic mindset as well that see it more like a practice more like a guideline and of mm-hmm. course you know you start and you just see how it goes mm-hmm. and it had such an amazing effect on my life it was such a good practice and it really really helped me at the time and moreover what it also did was that it gave me a really good ground upon I could rebuild my practice again. So I think what happens very often nowadays is people, you know, they start with asana and pranayama and they do like really complicated meditations and, Mm -hmm. you know, they build a very, very large and complicated practice, but they build it without infrastructures. Yes, yeah. And then, you know, at some point it becomes kind of, you know, unstable, and you kind of wonder why, but maybe because, you you know, you didn't done the the groundwork in the beginning. And especially now in the yoga world, um, you might be aware of it as well. There is a lot of like scandals and there is a lot of, you know, Me Too stories coming out. And it has, from my point of view, my very own personal point of view, it has also something to do with yoga becoming this very, very physical thing and the body became the main object of practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where actually the main object of practice in traditional yoga 
and or at least how I understand it is the mind. Right. Meditation. We prepare for that meditation. So. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> yeah. And even in asana, in a way, if you practice it uh, with this intention, you can practice the mind. Mm-hmm. And like I, I cannot tell you what you should or should not do, but I say it's just it's a possibility for you. I and love I think especially you... for people who are dealing. Sorry for yeah. cutting you, yeah. but I think that especially for people who are dealing with grief um, and dealing with depression, the mind is the main thing that you need to practice. Mm. But of course, practicing the with the body helps you to to bring the mind a bit down and balance the mind from all of the hectic that you might be feeling right now. Right, right. That the Yoga Sutra, uh, um, still stilling the fluctuations of the minds. What is it? Yoga, Yoga, Chitta, Vrita, Narodi, chilling, stilling the Vritis in the mind. The Vritis are the, Mm. are the little, uh, what do you call the Vritis? What do you think? What are the Vritis? Like the, the little agitations that come up and and when yeah you're... the unsatisfactory of the mind i don't know actually a better translation uh-huh. but yeah um yeah it's this this agitation i think like you are very agitated you know like everything is kind of of things that you like they will go away and it's create fear in your mind Things that you don't like come your way and it's create kind of agitation in the mind. So I think if I'm understanding why this is more or less what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I love what your uh, your website and your whole sort of motto is about really getting, uh, deepening the practice. And, and I love what you just said about starting with a firm foundation that my grandfather used to say, if we had big feet, because most of us in my family have pretty big feet, and he'd say, that's good, you have a firm foundation. So really embracing mm-hmm. the yamas or the niyamas or these these ethical, sort of the ethical mandates of, of the practice um, gives us that firm foundation, that strong, you know, in mountain pose, we stand tall with our feet planted firmly on the ground and that's those are the yamas and the niyamas those ethical Mm -hmm. standards that we we should uphold um, before we even begin to uh, move through any any pose so yeah and i think what i also love about it is that you can practice it anytime anywhere and anybody can practice it yes like doesn't matter how chaotic your situation right now is there is no excuse. You can practice it because you interact with yourself. You interact with other people. You have thousands of options and opportunities for practice. Yeah, I was recently. So, I, I recently yeah, you took don't a need work- to change. You don't need to buy yeah. anything. You don't need yeah. to go to a studio. You don't need a yoga mat. You can practice the yamas and niyamas at any times. There is no, yeah, from my point of view, no excuses. Yeah, yeah, it's true. We were, I was in a workshop this past Sunday. It was a yoga for arthritis. I got so much good information mm-hmm. about it. But anyway, we we um, started with, or actually we ended the workshop with, um, we each got two of the yamas and niyamas to look at and talk about how we could apply them um, in our teaching. And I thought it was really interesting. I got mm-hmm. satya, truthfulness. And mm-hmm. um, what was the other one? Truthfulness and, oh, shoot, I'm not sure. But anyway, it'll come <laughs> to me. It'll come to me. Um, 
But um, I started thinking about truthfulness and what it means and mm. how we, um, you know, the, 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 the lies we tell ourselves and the little lies mm. that we tell each other and how if we really stay, uh, keep our word as our bond or keep, keep our, ourselves in that state of truth, um, our lives would go really differently, I think. We tell yeah, ourselves definitely. so many stories, right? And that's just one example. So Yeah, I have personally just like so many stories just about trying to keep, you know, my words truth. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also has something in it, like the whole premises of yoga it's in a way to lead you to truth. Mm. And I think in this way, practicing truthfulness is so extremely important. Yeah. And, and it, I think from uh, all of the different kind of ethical guidelines that you can have, this is really one thing that is, is except by the Jewish uh, tradition, which they have a different way to put it. But you see it a lot. You see it in every tradition, you know, just don't lie. Just try to keep to the truth. And it's hard. It's really hard, you know, especially I know that I grew up in a, you know, a kind of society when lying is just something that you learn already as a kid, that this is just something you have to do. This is just how you get along. And this is how, you know, sometimes you just have to do that. And this is how our society works. And everybody knows that you lie to them, but you still do that. Mm -hmm. And it was so, so hard, especially when I was still living in Israel, to just keep to the truth. People would not believe me. Yes. Yeah. Like I will tell the truth that people will still not believe me (laughs) because it was just too honest and it just cannot be, you know. Like I have a specific story with my landlord, with the apartment where I was renting. And I was just telling him the simple truth of what happened. And he just he just couldn't believe me. He was just sure I was lying. Although, you know, it was just a very simple case. But he just was not, he was not used to people telling him simple stories. Um, or he was just very used to people lying him. And every simple story must, must you know, mask some kind of a horrible story behind it or something so i have a lot of stories around that similar things it's challenging i think satya in and of itself it's really it's it's enough of a homework (laughs) it is and every single one of them are are the same way i mean it's it's challenging to live in a way that is pure and um in truth and in um yeah it reminds me, there's a new TV show. I just, this is maybe a little bit off topic, but it's called um, A Living Biblically. I just caught it, caught the, okay. caught it the other day. And so there's this guy, it's so funny, it's a comedy. There's this guy and he sits at a bar with a rabbi and a priest and he's just a regular Joe, right? And he's trying to live his life uh, by the Bible, by the word of God, <laughs> similar okay. to what we're talking about with the satya, right? And so he decides, you know, in the Old Testament, the the Ten Commandments, there's one commandment that says you will not make any uh, false idols. So he decided yeah. he was going to make a false idol 
he was make he decided he was making a false idol out of his cell phone. So he smashed mm. his cell phone on the table and and the, <laughs> the the rabbi and the priests are sitting there just having their beer going shaking their head no this is not what it's all about. <laughs> it's so funny because he's trying so hard and it is it's really difficult but I love how at the end of the the niyamas the last one, number 10, is surrender to God. So ultimately, mm. we we reach this point where we can just say, you know, I can't do all this stuff on my own. So I just surrender. I surrender it all. And that's when we move into the next uh, limb, the, the asana. So maybe we should start there. Talk about some of your favorite asanas for relieving depression and just getting um, getting some movement in the body started. It's hard to say. There are so many that I know that might help. It's also very individual to the person. True. Yeah. But I think you mentioned a mountain pose. I think it's great to start with. Mm-hmm. Uh, for what I understand, it's like the very first asana. It's the very, uh, yeah, many books also. It's the first thing that you learn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's really important. It really helps. Uh, again, if you practice it right, this concept of so that you have actually in all yoga poses that from the hip down, you're aiming for roots, finding roots and grounding yourself. And from the hip up, you are trying to make yourself longer. Like this is how I usually describe it. And I think this is a really, really good uh, place to start. And if you understand this pose well, uh, all of the other poses, mostly standing poses, will make more sense. Mm. Um, another thing that I personally really like to do is uh, the yeah, a combination of um, two poses, like going from downward facing dog to upward facing dog. Mm. Um, upward facing dog generally speaking I think it's very good also you need to do it maybe first with the teacher Uh, you need to yeah to make sure you're doing it correctly Mm -hmm. a lot of people do it with their back very stiff mostly this transition and it's actually good to do it more like you know like some kind of a wave that washes more fluid like Mm -hmm. yeah much 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 more fluid than how it's usually taught that's like my personal experience, um, like what we anyway always do in yoga, um, but just strengthening the the spine mm. as a, as a center of our nerve system and as a center of our a lot of our energy system. If we look at it from the more traditional yogic point of view and breathing exercises, mm-hmm. uh, that's already the the step ahead. Uh, but I, if I can, I usually try to teach first breathing exercises and introduce people to the breath mm-hmm. first because it's such an important support and it's such an important part sure. for me, at least for asana practice as well. Right. And just sitting and breathing is enough of a yoga practice, right? Just sitting on your mat and just a simple Durga breath is enough of a yoga practice, mm. right? I just wanted to go back when you said to Tadasana, mountain pose, when you said that about uh, firming up the lower half of the body and thinking of it as 
growing roots. It just reminded me that that pose is about planting ourselves firmly on the earth, but then reaching up for the heavens. So sort of Mm. acknowledging our humanity, but also looking toward our divinity. I, I, I love that. I, I just, it just occurred to me when you said that. So thank you for, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's a, it's a good example of just our our, our general human condition, mm-hmm. and you know, like the premises that yoga gives you, like you can stay in the world and still have this divine. And I think it's very human. Like I know that I learned it from one of my teachers, and one of my she is also a friend of mine. And when we talked about it, she also talked about it in this connotation of. You know, we are kind of strange apes, you know, mm-hmm. most apes, you know, they still work with their spine pretty bent. But humans, for some strange reason, we are not really sure about why, decided to go with their spine, you know, much, much straighter. Vertical. It's still not straight, like even saying straight back, mm-hmm. what we usually do in yoga, it's also sometimes problematic. But... Yeah, we have this lengthening, you know, in uh, the uh, direction of the sky. And this is something very unique to human as as a species, Mm -hmm. generally speaking. And I think it describes very well the human experience and what we can achieve here, you know, in in a more deeper deeper level. Mm, I love it. I love it. So let's talk about pranayama because there are a lot of pranayama breathing practices that really uh, can can help uh, the mood pretty quickly, I think. Um, mm. So yeah, are, do you true. have any favorites? I, I have a couple of mine, but I'll let you talk first. <laughs> um, I had a lot of, mostly as a teacher, I had a lot of thoughts about how to teach pranayama mm-hmm. because I know that when I was a student, especially in the beginning, uh, especially in time of distress, it's it's very hard to lengthen your breath to the extent that is sometimes expected. And it's sometimes also hard for people also worked with people, you know, uh, a bit older than me or way, way older than me. And it's sometimes they find it pretty difficult and you kind of create resistance in to an actually very, very accessible and beautiful practice. So I usually recommend as a start is just to check up with your breath as it is right now. Just try to breathe deeply, deeply into your stomach that, you know, the stomach expands, the the chest expands, and then with the out-breath, just let them naturally contract again. And you can kind of count with it, like how many seconds is it possible for me to breathe in? How many seconds is it possible for me to breathe out? There are some kind of guidelines of how to do that. Uh, The most important one is that the inhale and the exhale should be either in the same length or the exhale is longer than the inhale. Um, Yeah, that's like one important rule of it, there are others as well. And just find your own rhythm and just stick to it with a few for a few moments. Mm. Just take one minute to find your rhythm and then just stay with the same rhythm for a few more minutes. And this is 
again, you might need a bit of experience to be able to do that. You might need to practice with a teacher um, for some time in order to be able to do that. But I think for me personally, it's the best way. And again, if you have this experience and you want to, so you can also take a, a pause between the in-breath and the out-breath, or maybe you even want to take a pause between the out-breath and the in-breath. In some cases, it's really good. In some places, it's not so good. Mm-hmm. So um, there are all kind of options that you can learn about pranayama and if you really understand the practice of pranayama on a deeper level um, it can really be something that changes every day according to your own wish and ability and I think this is the best way to practice not just pushing yourself into some kind of a practice but really tuning in to what you really need at the moment and practicing from that point of view. And then going a little bit deeper with pranayama. I love this conversation, Or, because we can just go a little deeper. So let's talk about <laughs> what pranayama means and prana, you know, which has so many different meanings in different uh, cultural areas. Uh, you know, a lot of people think of prana as chi in the Chinese medicine world or um, the Holy Spirit in the Christian world, or uh, what is it in Judaism? Rach, rauch, like the, the breath of God. Ruach. Ruach, yeah. yeah. Ruach, um, it's so, actually wind. Wind, yeah. Yeah. So we think of... It's another word for wind and for spirit as well. Spirit, yes. Yeah, so, or soul, or it depends. So we think of yeah. breathing in that spirit, that, that um, God the the divine think about all those things as we're breathing it changes the way we breathe we breathe with more reverence mm, right more definitely s- a, a little more of a sacred sense of ourselves we're breathing that into our body and our body then our body becomes the sacred vessel it was intended to be so i like this conversation <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think people can take it to all kind of places. And as I said, I think individually I can imagine, you know, how it can work for different people. Like there will be some people when I will say, if you want to, you can really breathe in spirit and, uh, you know, breathe out loving kindness. You know, for some people that might work. Mm -hmm. For other people, I will say breathe in um loving kindness for yourself and breathe out everything you don't need anymore or something mm-hmm. in this kind of combination. There is a very interesting Buddhist um, meditation that also work with the breath, but it's pretty advanced um, from my point of view, at least that you breathe in the suffering of other people mm-hmm. and this kind of breaks your own self-cherishing mind the the ego kind of mind, you know, that it's all just me and I'm the most important person in the world and I'm the center of the universe. And by breathing in the the hardships of other people, you kind of break this. And from this kind of um, explosion, you can say, you breathe out white light and compassion and love for other people. Mm. So this is just, you know, a wild example of what you can do with it. Super but powerful, as I said, though. you know, don't try it at home by yourself. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have a very good blog post about it. 
Um, I can send you the link if you want to. It's called Tong Lang, Receiving Tong Lang. and Giving. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very, very interesting practice. And if you're brave enough, even in, in hard situation, I think this is something that really, really helps me. Mm-hmm. Mostly, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with really difficult people that it's really hard for you to uh, to even start dealing with them. Mm-hmm. You know, they are just like this kind of situation when you feel stuck. And I think this might be a very helpful practice for that. Yeah, when forgiveness is tough, try Tonglen. Very good. Yeah. Um, I love, or in all kind of situations. Yeah. I, I love that uh, you have combined yoga and Buddhism because the thing is, you can combine yoga with any spiritual practice, any religious practice, and make it work because yoga, yoga works with everything, I think. Um, do you want to talk about that just a little bit? I think s- some people are fearful of yoga getting in the way of their religious or spiritual practice, but it can really work with anything that you choose to um, practice. And it can enhance your experience Mm. of God because yoga is intended, as we said earlier, um, to, to create this space where we can be still enough to experience our soul and experience our connection, our union with the divine. It actually enhances for me, my Christianity. So, yeah. And I think that for a lot of people, I heard similar yeah, similar stories, you know, if it's Buddhist practitioners, one of my Buddhist teachers, she used to practice and she probably still is uh, practicing um, some asanas and some yoga techniques to help her uh, very, very Buddhist meditations. I actually know many Buddhist practitioners who do that, you know, just use the tools of yoga and yeah, just make their body and mind more prepared for their Buddhist meditations because Mm -hmm. in Buddhism, unfortunately, their body part is often missing. Mm. Like we talk a lot about meditation and philosophy, but people kind of lose connection with their body. I saw it a lot in Buddhist circles. So I think from this point of view, I'm kind of happy to bring both of these worlds together Mm -hmm. because I think yoga can use a bit more philosophy and meditation. Buddhism and Buddhist circles can use a little bit more of body work. So I and think isn't that true? I think that's true of every religion and every every religion has a little something that could learn from another, you know, another tradition. So we should be open. Definitely. I, I love the idea of just being open to every every spiritual practice and and making what works for you work because God is God. So um, I do want to talk about finding a good teacher. So do you have any recommendations for how to find a teacher that works um, best with you? And especially if you are dealing with depression, anxiety, grief, or any of those issues that we were talking about earlier? Yeah, I think it's sometimes hard to see, but I think you can get some kind of a feeling of the teacher has a good ethical basic for her or his teachings. That That's for me personally, a very, very important thing, like trying to even sometimes maybe ask directly or trying to sense, you know, what is their motivation behind going to teach? And if they are experienced enough in what they are doing, uh, sometimes it's just very personal, you know, it's just like personal connection. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I would 
personally recommend is to see also is the teacher is putting a lot of emphasis on the body or the teacher has some kind of an idea of the other aspects of yoga as well. And that would be maybe a good way to to know if this teacher is uh, good for you or not, especially in this kind of situation, uh, to see if they are kind of aiming for some kind of a perfection of the pose or if they have some kind of understanding that, uh, you know, the, the way that you come into the pose is almost as important as the pose itself. Um, yeah, and just see that you, you have this feeling that this teacher knows more than you and this teacher is wealth has a wealth in wisdom and in compassion. Mm, good. Um, I think that's a few guidelines. I have probably much, much more that I just don't think about at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure I wrote something about it at some point. Yeah. Uh, I think in my first ebook I talked about it also a little bit more in depth. And I think but... it's, a lot of it is just trusting yourself, trusting your your. Uh, gut trusting your in- intuition about that person and the the thing is if one teacher doesn't work for you there's another one right down the street right <laughs> yeah that's that's the the bad part and the good part about it nowadays yeah, that you right. have a lot of teachers really mm-hmm. a very a lot you know sometimes too much to choose from right and I think what a lot of people do is that they judge too fast. Like I wouldn't come to one class and say, no, this person is not for me and just move over. I will I will give it, you know, a few tries unless it's a very clear no. Um, and I know that especially if you are in a place with a lot of negative emotions, uh, sometimes it's hard to trust your intuition. So right. as much as I agree with your point and I think that you should definitely should trust your intuition. Sometimes it can be tricky. Like, what does it even mean? Mm-hmm. Trust my intuition. Yeah. You yeah. Know? As I was saying yeah. that, I was thinking that because we we mentioned that earlier that sometimes things are just covered over by layers of stuff, so we can't really mm-hmm. get get to that the truth of things for a while. But yeah, I like that advice to to try it a few times before we make that final decision. Um, or I wanted to ask you this. With regard to depression, how do we know when yoga is just, um, it's good, but it's not enough and we need to really seek some outside help? Um, did you get to that point or were you already? Uh, yeah, seeking? definitely. Yeah. Let's talk about that, how that can, how they can work together and um, make sure we get the help we need, right? Yeah, that's very important. And thank you for posting this question. Um, because I think you can come to a point when you say like I'm doing my yoga and yoga will cure me from depression and that's a very dangerous point that from mostly for me as a teacher I, I'm trying to avoid at all costs mm-hmm. um, even uh, yeah even if it means that some people you know will be less interesting in working with me because I don't promise them you know a full cure I am willing to take this risk um, I think mostly if you feel that you are becoming dangerous to yourself and to other people, that's a very, very clear sign. And if you feel that you are just kind of stuck, that there are just some stuff that they are over time not really resolving. So that's also a good place uh, to seek for help. 
And the same with choosing a yoga teacher. It's even more important to choose the right therapist. And I know that I went through different kind of therapists until I found the one person who helped me. Um, so also there, you know, check your therapist for some time, see if it really works. But if you see if it doesn't work after, I don't know, 10 meetings, I think it's what they usually advise. So don't be afraid to try somebody else until you find somebody who can really help you. And I think it's it's really, really important to go to therapy. In some cases also, you know, medical therapy might be needed. It's not something that I would recommend. I know also from personal experience, the benefits of it are limited. And sometimes there are more um, negative effects mm -hmm. than positive effects. But it's an important thing to try in certain situations. And we have the tendency to to just want to stay within ourselves and not talk about it with anybody and not make a big deal out of it and just kind of make, we do make a big deal out of it, but only, you know, inside our, our head. And I think sometimes even just talking to a good friend or talking to a family member, somebody who knows you for a while, somebody who knows you good and can honestly evaluate your situation. Uh, it's a very good thing to do if you are not sure where you are and if you really need help or not. Sure. Because sometimes some outer perspective can tell you better, like, yeah, I think, you know, the yoga stuff is good, but maybe you need something next to it. Um, and I think sometimes even a yoga teacher can tell you, like, I see that yoga is helping you, but I have a feeling, you know, mm -hmm. this is not inside my scope of practice, good. which a good teacher should say. Exactly, exactly. Um, so this is also something. And I think the main message I want to give you is just there is nothing to be ashamed of. Mm. As we talked in the very beginning, negative emotions, grief, depression, anxiety, I think it's something that it's part of our human experience. It's something that a lot of people, much more than you would think, are going through. Um, it's very, very hard. It's shitty and it's complicated mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily something you could do by yourself. And it shouldn't be something you do by yourself. From my point of view, we are not wired to, to live in a bubble. Right. So as much as it, it is hard, I think everybody, even if you feel like you are extremely lonely right now, there must be at least one person you can trust and just try to talk with them about it. And that sometimes it's enough as a first step in a very long path of recovery, you know, just initiating this first conversation, you know, picking up the phone to the sister, the brother, the, the, the good old friend, somebody who can understand you. And that's a very, very important thing to do. Okay, good. I'd just like to sum up a little bit. Maybe you can add anything that I might forget. So yoga is good for depression, but it's not the be all end all. So try yoga, um, find a good teacher who has good 
credentials, a good, strong uh, knowledge and foundation of all the yoga philosophies and um, really knows uh, the body and um, also can... um, there's someone that you that you hit it off with right um, yeah yeah and reach out and get help if you uh, always reach out right if you find yourself dealing with depression um, and stick with it stick with your yoga practice stick with your um, your connections stick with your therapy whatever you're doing stick with it because it's there's no there are no quick fixes so anything I forgot that we talked about <laughs> No, I think it sums it up pretty good. It's uh, very actionable also. That's mm-hmm. I like very mm-hmm. much. I'm not always very good in that, yeah. but it's very actionable steps. And I, I strongly agree with that. And I would maybe want to add a little bit something to stick with it, because I think especially if you are suffering from depression, sticking with things can become extremely hard Mm. but it's extremely important especially in these kind of situations and nowadays as we talked also a little bit uh, um, the studio situations is like that for many different reasons that I wouldn't go into right now that it's pretty easy not to stick with it (laughs) Mm. and uh, I think it's very important to do make this commitment and I know that in Older times, not even in India, even when uh, yoga just came to the West, you know, like 50 years ago, 40 years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. There, there were courses that, you know, there were teachers who said, like, you pay a very basic donation, but the the condition is that you have to show up. Like I heard this this week, an interview with a very old practitioner, and he said, like his first introduction to Ashtanga yoga was that he needed to show up for 30 days every day to practice. And he didn't need to pay that much, but this was the commitment. And you don't have to practice. Like if you feel ill or something like that, you don't have to practice. You always practice according to your own wish and abilities. This is a, a guideline in yoga that a lot of teachers keep to. But you have to show up. Mm. And I think this having to show up, it's in and of itself so, so, so extremely important. And I don't remember who said it, but one of my favorite quotes uh, is that yoga is for big bodies, it's for small bodies, it's for white bodies, dark bodies, men, women, it doesn't matter, you know, it's for people with depression, without depression, with abilities or with disabilities, it doesn't matter. The only thing that it's not, it's for lazy people. (laughs) Which takes (laughs) us right back to that. It just just doesn't work like that. Like you have to do the work, you have have to to keep to it. Even if you need to take breaks, even if some days you practice really, you know, it's just a horrible practice. Even if you show up to class and you just do half of the things, like I would prefer a student come and sit half of the time and not do anything than a student not coming at all. Yeah. Like I think the showing up in and of itself has just so much power. And I know it's hard. I really know this hardship very, very intimately. Yeah. But I think this is for me, if you know, if you asked before what what really helped me in yoga to recover from depression is this stubbornly 
showing up, even if it was extremely difficult at times. Yeah, I love that we just went full circle. We, we just went full circle. So we just went back to the yamas and the niyamas, the tapas, the self-discipline, mm. right? So just do it. Just do it and show up on your mat. And what is it? Uh, the beginning of the Yoga Sutras, what does he say? Now we begin the practice of, or for, who is it that says first do yoga and all is well? Is that Patanjali? Do yoga and all is well. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I'll have to Google that. But anyway, thank you, Or, for this conversation, getting a little bit deeper about yoga and, and really addressing uh, the challenges of depression, which so many people um are dealing with nowadays and um so we should just come together and and just uh reach out and help each other help one another give us all the information we need to get in touch with you and read more on your website and your blogs and um, take some of your classes online how do we find you yeah so you can find me at uh, freedomyoga.info and soon also I'm opening uh, a website only for yoga for depression. It's going to be called upwardfacingdog.com. Um, yeah, also because I love dogs and also because I love this pose, upward facing dog. Um, yeah, and this is where you can find me. You can also just write me an email. You can find my email also on my website. And I will be happy to help with any question. And I give online mostly, I have my online course, which focuses on deepening your practice. Like if we talked about, you know, understanding the yamas and yamas more deeply. So I have a whole class about that. I have a whole class about pranayama and how to build your own pranayama practice. That's just a few examples that we touched a bit. So this is things that you can find in my online course, Become Your Own Teacher. Yeah, and also one of my favorite things to do is that I tailor made personal practice for people because a lot of people, they want to develop, you know, a practice at home but they don't really know where to start and what will be the right thing for them to do without harming themselves and also actually being able to keep with it. So I help people with that also to build a practice and to understand what will be the best thing for them to do, but also kind of keep them accountable for that and just help them in this journey of, you know, starting to practice regularly. Beautiful. I love that. Thank you so much. I hope you'll come back and tell us um, how things are going and um, what you're up to next. And um, I just like having these conversations. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I also, I like to talk about yoga. It's my favorite thing. So thank you for the opportunity. Cool. Awesome. And I will definitely be in touch. Maybe in a few years when I will publish my imaginary book, <laughs> I will be in touch with you. Right now, it's just I a like few it. random pages on my computer. We'll keep looking. Keep imagining. All right. Thanks, Or. <laughs> Have a happy, healthy day. Take care. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Back to Happy, A Journey of Hope, Healing, and Waking Up is a small but powerful book about healing from one of life's greatest tragedies, the loss of a child. It's about love and sadness and being human. The nine lessons in Back to Happy are intended to be food for a broken but awakening soul. 
Healing from grief and loss is possible. Finding joy again is possible. Back to Happy in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook at Amazon.com. For more information, visit backtohappybook.com.